Open Table is a proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. For more information, visit their blog, Open for Business, at openforbusiness.opentable.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Chef Story. This is your guest host, Eric Mernigan, filling in for Dorothy Hamilton today. I'm the president of the International Culinary Center, and we're broadcasting from Lower Manhattan at the International Culinary Center. Today, my guest is Chris Himmel. Chris is the owner and executive vice president of the Himmel Hospitality Group, which includes Harvest Restaurant in Cambridge, Grill 23 in Bar, and Post 390, both in Boston. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, so Chris and I are going to talk about his, his restaurants and his jer- journey, but we also have uh, something really fun in store. Chris uh, took a culinary road trip in an RV, and we're going to talk a lot, a lot about that today. Um, and I, I can't wait to hear about that road trip. But first, I'd, I'd like to get to know you a little bit and, and really get to know a little bit more about what brought you from a kid to where you are now and, and sure. kind of prepared you for all that you've done and that road trip. So Absolutely. Tell, tell me a little bit about your early years. Sure. Um, I actually grew up in the business. So I grew up in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, we have a restaurant called Grill 23 and Bar. Uh, we opened it about 32 years ago. Uh, so when I was very young, at a very young age, I was thrown into the mix, uh, y- you name it, uh, through the front and back of the house. Uh, started scrubbing broiler ovens and doing maintenance and things like that and working my way up through uh, back waiter positions, server positions, bartender positions, um, and then really found a sort of a niche in the culinary aspect of it. So I uh, was able to work under a couple of great chefs at Grill 23, uh, really get my uh, hands dirty and get some experience. Uh, caught the bug at a very young age and uh, really worked my way through uh, with Grill 23 sort of as an example to hold uh, and decided that I wanted to go pursue uh, uh, hospitality. I went to Cornell University, uh, to the Hotel School of Cornell, uh, probably majored the first two years and things in, in a little bit too much, having fun and not enough settling down, uh, and actually went and spent about uh, six months back at our other restaurant, the Harvest Restaurant, uh, really just sort of, I think that was a pivotal point for me uh, because it's sort of my whole life having been in the hospitality industry um, at, you know, sort of the typical age, you know, 19, 20 years old, uh, questioning, is this what I really want to do? Um, really got thrown into the fire, um, you know, worked for, I actually believe when I bartended there, I was I was paying more to park than I was making doing the daytime bartending. Um, so it was certainly a labor of love, but also showed me the passion that I have for the business. Um, after, you know, completing that, went back to school, was able to uh, really focus, buckle down, um, and get out of Cornell, the hotel school, with, um, you know, great experience, great education that uh, took me to New York. So I uh, really wanted to uh, learn from some of the best people in New York to me at, at that point and still to this day. I don't think you can do much better than coming to New York and really sort of uh, sinking your teeth into the business. Um, I was able to sort of con my way into uh, to Danny Meyer's group for a brief period um, and worked with Union Square Cafe, uh, spent a little time at Gramercy Tavern, um, and then 
uh, from a front of the house perspective, felt like I wanted to switch gears. So um, uh, Tom Clicchio and the people from uh, from Danny's group recommended at that point that there was a chef Thomas Keller in California that might be uh, worth you know going out and sort of doing a stage or just trying sort of shot in the dark, sort of see if I can get in there. Um, I actually grew up uh, fishing my whole life, so I actually have a uh, since I was about five or six years old, I think I've done giant bluefin tuna fishing, uh, fishing for striped bass, uh, everything. When I was about 12, I ran a charter tour that I bring people back and actually prepare dinner uh, afterwards, which is sort of how I sort of caught that bug of, of the culinary side of things. Um, that was really my only angle that I had to play when I got out there. Um, it did enough for me to be able to stick around, so I was able to get some great experience with, uh, with, with Chef Keller and his group. Uh, really learned passion for ingredients. I think that's where, uh, where I really adopted that principle, uh, respect for ingredients, um, not just sourcing, but how you treat it from the minute that it gets in your control. Um, so took all those back and decided that it was time to come back home and, uh, and help my family and operate our restaurant business in Boston and Cambridge. So um, I elected to go back and, and work at Harvest Restaurant. Um, ironically enough, the first chef that I worked with back in Boston is still our chef today as our culinary director, so we've been working together for almost 15 years, uh, which in our industry can be you know, quite, a, uh, quite a feat. So um, it's been a great ride in our restaurants. I think I've sort of run the gamut from being you know, certainly in more the administrative side of things, which was an adjustment, but over the last uh, you know, five, six, seven years really sunk myself into the uh, back into the the culinary side of things from a different perspective instead of being in the kitchen cooking and looking over the shoulder and micromanaging all my great chefs um, I elected to really focus on the sourcing of product um, which is equally important in my mind but not just sourcing out great product but establishing relationships with a lot of our vendors so um, I think it's been something that's been uh, one of the highlights in terms of what I've been able to do, um, I've met incredible people. Um, the, the you know trip that we took across country was certainly um, you know inspired by that. Uh, we've really really worked hard over the last five or so years to um, generate great relationships with our vendors locally, uh, but we also find that we use um, great product from around the country. Um, so I think that it was really important for us to to focus on that, and that's really where I, where I'm headed with our restaurants. Um, I like our chefs to have the creative free freedom and um, have the sort of empowerment to do what they need to when they want to and creatively nobody stifles them um, but my job is to really present them with a great uh, great set of pro- great product but also a great story behind the product and I think again that's what if I had to take anything from Chef Keller um, I think that what really struck me was that everything on that menu has a story everything has an origination everyone has a story with the farmer who from the farmer who conceived it to the end result with the chefs who prepare it um, there's really a story behind everything and that's something that we really uh, I guess selfishly I love that I love I love to know where things came from I love to know who grew them um, and it's really important to me to try to communicate that to uh, to our to our guests okay so, so there's that's a good story and yeah. I think there are some stories within that story sure so I'm not sure what the statute of limitations uh, is on child labor laws but <laughs> tell me about um, not only uh, you know catching the bug but scrubbing uh, ovens at an early age and I believe there was a, a very early bartending stint in there somewhere there was there was uh, I loved bartending since I was younger because it gave me the opportunity to for the first time to have some face-to-face interaction with guests um, you know I'd always 
grown up and seen it, and I loved it. To me, it was almost like playing like a science experiment. I don't think the alcohol part of it really factored in. Um, so we had a bartender, uh, Chuck Ellis, who was a longtime bartender of the restaurant and um, used to love to bring me back there. And ironically enough, the restaurant's right across the street from the old Boston police headquarters. So um, I think if you did that today, we probably would be uh, shut down. But at that point in time, they allowed us to, to have me back there. I think my drink, uh, my go-to drink was a Seabreeze, which was uh, certainly uh, not that complicated. But when you're about 12 years old, it's you know it seems amazing when you get to pour all that stuff together. I think I made $150 in tips one night. Uh, which That'll I, get you hooked. Yeah, exactly. I might have the IRS coming after me now because I don't think I paid taxes on that, but well, it's fine. It's you less know, than it's, 600 Yeah, so I think, exactly. Yeah. Unless you got a uh, 1099, right? Yeah. Exactly, right? Okay. So that, that's, I mean, that's great. I, I think that it takes a lot of time for people to figure out what they want to do. And mm-hmm. we see people now graduating from college and really having no idea where to begin. Yeah. And I think it's really for a lot of people in their maybe mid-30s where they finally find their path. So you found yours maybe in your in your teens? I think so. I think, I, it, like I said, that time I spent at the Harvest in my probably, I think I was about 19 or 20, um, I think that cemented it. I think at that point I, I knew I was headed in that direction. Uh, but like a lot of people, you, you go in one area your whole life and you start to see friends and people getting into other things and you question, should I, you know, should I look into that? Did I, am I shortchanging myself by not exploring other opportunities? Uh, I didn't really ever look back once I came back and really got into the operations. Um, I think you can learn a lot from school, but I think that the restaurant industry in general is one of those things that it's, no matter how many books you read, until you get into the operations and get direct experience, until you've been, you know, closing the restaurant at 3.30 in the morning or, um, you know, not not being able to balance out the books at, you know, 3.30 and staying all night or having your dishwashers leave and doing dishes for the rest of the night and anything you can do to, to keep the operation going. I don't think it's, it's possible to get that hands-on experience. Um, and that's what I was after. That's what I really wanted. And once I got that, surprisingly enough to me, I think that I found I loved it. And um, it certainly beat a desk job, which is one of some of the other options that I had. Um, but also, I just really have a passion for, for the business. And I love the people that I work with. Um, they spend more time with them than I do with my family. So for me, um, it's important to build a great team of people. Um, we really, as one thing I took from Danny Meyer's group was um, hiring the individual over the professional. So really looking deeply into someone. If they've come from um, you know, more of an entry-level background, but they've got a great personality and a real strong desire to learn, um, I'd rather have that sometimes than I would go after somebody who's worked at, you know, four-star Michelin, three-star restaurants and things. So right. um, we really pride ourselves as an operation and as a company of, of training people to become better servers, better cooks. Um, and if they go on and go to other places, I think that's, that's almost uh, as flattering as if they stayed in a sense because they're going to go on and take that to someone else. It's going to help the industry. Sure, so, you played a part in that, right? Yeah. And you yeah, can teach somebody to cook, but you can't teach them to be a good person. Exactly. That's a very good point. And that's one thing, yeah. That's really, that's the definition of hospitality in a sense is to caring how your actions affect others. Um, and that's something that you can't teach. So yeah. you really have to have that ingrained. So, so other kids were playing Little League and, uh, and hanging around, you know, getting in trouble, and, and you were at the restaurant. I did do – I actually, believe it or not, I, I, was, I was very busy when I was younger. I actually did play basketball, and I actually played basketball my freshman year at Cornell. I don't tell a lot of people that, uh, but because we, I think we lost 
most of our games by an average of 40 or 50 points when I played. So, hey, but Division uh, One is Division it was, One, yeah, right? It was. I played very competitively in high school. Um, played you know a lot of sports and things. So it was a balance of sports and. Uh, when I was very, you know, my teens, and you sort of rebelled a little bit, uh, going to the restaurants was like a punishment. Like, if I got in trouble on the weekends, it was some families would be like, okay, we're going to send you to your room, or we're going to make you go do chores outside. For me, it was, all right, you're, you're getting your butt in the restaurants, and you're going to go slug out like a nine-hour night and, you know, see what it feels like if uh, you don't get your act straight. So that was what I got a lot. So, so when you were working with uh, Danny Meyer's group and then uh, ultimately with Thomas Keller's group, were you, you were in the kitchen and in the front of house? I was in the front of the house. House. Yeah, okay. I think at the very end of the time that I was um, that I was over with Gramercy, they they let me do a little bit of stuff of work in the kitchen. Um, one of my best friends from college is a, a, a gentleman named Andy Forking, who uh, was very ingrained in Danny's group and at Gramercy Tavern for years. And Andy's actually one of the owners of Le Pigeon and Little Bird in Portland, Oregon now. Um, so Andy and I having a close relationship certainly helped me um, get you know some. You know, introductions and things of that nature to be able to get over with that organization. Um, I had a gentleman named David Swinghammer who I who's very involved or was with uh, Danny's group, who was a great advocate for me to get into the restaurants. But most of my experience came from a front of the house perspective. And frankly, to get into those groups, sometimes you have to take what you can get in terms of opportunities. So um, I was actually started out as one of the first reservations managers at Union Square Cafe, um, and I was one of the first uh, people in the country to get trained on open table uh, because Danny had actually uh, was uh, on the board and so he was one of the first people sort of the beta test for um, for open table so that was interesting in and of itself you know to come back and and I brought that back to our restaurants you know very early on in the you know infancy of the company Um, but you know experiences like that I don't know that I would have stepped right into a reservations manager position in anywhere else because I respected Danny and his organization so much you wanted to get that opportunity and, sure. um, and this is his way right yes. everybody starts yes. as a reservations manager and the people that have been with him for decades now have yes. have had essentially every role within the organization from res- reservations manager onward right yes and he's I mean incredible about giving people opportunities beyond that I actually grew up um, around Will Guidar I was uh, the owner of 11 Madison Park, mm-hmm. um, and, and his dad is actually from the same town that I grew up in. So uh, we had, you know, my family and his family had crossed paths quite a bit. So to watch Will go up through that organization and then to see Danny um, have sort of the, you know, intuition to say, okay, take it and give it to Daniel Hum and to he and say, run with it, and to watch what they've done. Who, what other restaurant owner, in, you know, in the world probably would, would have that level of uh, support for their people to say, you know, I'm going to give up one of my operations because I think it's best for you to pursue that. Um, and look what they've done. You know, they've right. built their own empire, so which is impressive in its own right. So, right. Yeah. so your family uh, founded Grill 23 and Bar. We did, um, yes. And you at some point acquired Harvest? Yes, we actually, uh, my father was a developer, developed Copley Place in Boston. And at that point in the uh, late 70s, he had been an original investor of the Harvest. So um, there was Ben Thompson and Jane Thompson, who were the original owners. Uh, ben was the architect of uh, Faneuil Hall, Quincy Market. Okay. So very famous uh, designer, architect, uh, really ahead of his time. He and his wife opened the Harvest uh, really is one of the first farm-to-table restaurants in the country. Um, this is back in 1974. They had, you know, herb gardens. They were working with wild game and things like that. And um, things that don't seem crazy to us today, uh, but 
you know, even in the 80s or late 80s, early 90s, that was relatively unheard of to be taking cuisine to that level and really putting American cuisine on the map. Um, so in the process of uh, developing Copley Place, my father and Ben had a, uh, had a conflict of interest, so they actually couldn't own that restaurant together. So my dad actually sold his, his portion of the restaurant. Um, always had a great affinity for it. Uh, we've always watched it, uh, really admiring the fact that some of the best chefs throughout New England, um, and some people like Bob Kincaid from Washington, D.C., um, you know, we've had, uh, who else do we have? Um, jo- I think Jody Adams is involved with, was involved at one point. Okay. Lydia Shire was involved at one point. Um, we've just had an incredible array, even through the, our run in the last 15 years of having the restaurant. Um, it's really been a training ground for some of the, the, the more up-and-coming chefs throughout New England and, and truthfully, probably around the country. Um, and it's something that we wanted to be involved in. We really think it's a very special restaurant that represents something that we really hold true. So um, in 1998, we had the opportunity to purchase a restaurant, um, or I guess you could say purchase a back. Um, and we took that opportunity and uh, really did a big renovation at that point changed the feel of the restaurant significantly. Um, I think it, it, early on people talked about Mary Mecco fabrics and um, things that were just, it was very 70s, you know, it was, it was very, uh, like I think it was shag carpeting and things that probably wouldn't fit in the modern day, you know, yep. restaurants. And um, for us, we really have a passion for restaurant design, so we wanted to be able to keep the integrity of what the harvest stands for, uh, but bring it up to a modern sense. Um, we brought in a, an architect, Howard Elkis, who's a very well-known, he typically doesn't do restaurants, but he's a very close friend of our family and um, really gave it a, a fr- some fresh life. So it's been a great run with it. We've, we've actually just recently renovated the restaurant again. 15 years, you have to make sure you take care of those spaces. So uh, we're very, very excited about the space now. It's, uh, we've got a great patio outside, uh, which is we've always had. It's about 46 seats really an oasis it feels set apart from the city it's one of the few patios in cambridge and boston that you don't feel like you're on a on a curb with cars racing by you okay um but we've uh this most recent renovation we added a canopy over that's a retractable canopy so one of the biggest complaints that we got was that no one could we weren't weather protected so people want to go outside but if it rains in the middle of service there's nowhere to put people we also love to do weddings. We love to do private events, things like that. We can't book those things when we're weather dependent. So this gives us that flexibility. So we're really excited about that because it's, it, it changes the game for us at the harvest and uh, lets us capitalize on one of our greatest features, which is our, uh, which is our patio. That's so. great. Well, most restaurants aren't, don't have the luxury of renovating every 15 years because they, they don't last 15 years. Yes. To have <laughs> two restaurants, Harvest is more than 40 years old now, and, yes. and Grill 23 and Bar is more than 30. That's a tremendous testament to, uh, to your management and, and what you've done with those. Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. All right, and I'm back with Chris Himmel, and we're about to talk about his road trip. But first, I'm, I'm intrigued by Fish Pig. This is an annual event that you host in the Boston area. It is. It's uh, taken a life of its own, to be honest. Um, it's, <laughs> it started as a simple party with uh, my best friend, who I have grew up fishing with. Known, we've known each other since we were about two. Uh, he actually owns Wolf's Fish, which is uh, one of the uh, better, higher-end fish companies uh, throughout New England. Uh, Mike and I decided to sort of, uh, I would done the Nantucket Wine Festival, which is held every year in May, uh, for probably about 10 years, uh, and always wanted to do something for the other chefs. Wanted to have a party that sort of uh, 
uh, let them cut loose a little bit and let them, you know, we all go to these to the island and it's work, work, work. I mean, we're doing, you know, $350, $450 per person dinners, wine dinners and things like that. And, you know, you feel a lot of pressure to perform. So you really, you get there. And um, I know everyone thinks, oh, Nantucket, we're going to be drinking, you know, dark and stormies and hanging out on the beach all day. We don't get that until later on. But um, this, is a, this was a chance for us to host sort of an informal party. Um, we came up with the name Fish Pig. Uh, really Mike's obvious involvement with uh, seafood. Uh, my passion for, I actually really love working with uh, farmers who, who actually raise heritage breed pigs. Um, and we actually will bring in an entire pig once every month to post 390. Um, and we'll break down the whole pig and learn, you know, cook with every part of it, feature it in specials, things like that. Um, so I can't take credit for the name. I think Mike uh, sort of came up with that sort of mashing of two words and fish pig. Somehow it all fit. People loved it. We would essentially, the party is set up where uh, we'll roast, uh, this year we're actually going to roast one 100-pound uh, whole roasted heritage Berkshire pig that we'll do in a Cajachino. So we'll do it in one of the roasting boxes. Um, we're also going to okay. do, from our road trip, uh, one of my, I became very close with a guy from uh, Broken Arrow Ranch who's uh, in Texas, who uh, is one of the only licensed wild game facilities in the United States. So he actually is going to be sending me a head-on uh, wild boar that we're going to do. Great. So. We're going to spit roast a wild boar over open flames. Um, we'll cook the pig in the cajachina. Uh, Mike is just, uh, in Wolf's Fish, is just obsessive about local fish and getting, you know, roasting whole fish and things. So we're going to be doing typically probably mostly black bass, uh, some other local fish that's in season at the point. Um, the whole thing, I guess the way I can explain it is it's sort of a, like gluttonous feast. It's essentially you come in, you have an entire tray full of, uh, you know, hand-pulled pork and pig and things like that and wild boar. The other side, you have entire uh, whole fish that are roasted over open charcoal. Um, in the middle, you have probably about 75 to 80 different condiments from tomatillo salsas to chimichurris to homemade brioche to tortillas to anything. We give you a big uh, butcher tray, and you essentially go in and, you know, you pay for your ticket so you basically wow. go in and you get everything you want and uh we're right on the water so this year we're going to be hosting it at slip 14 restaurant uh, which is if anybody's been to nantucket knows it's right on uh, old south wharf which is directly on the water so we actually also incorporate one of my uh, very close friends is our lobster guy so larry the lobster guy okay. from snappy lobster so larry will be bringing his boat in uh, and he's going to bring an entire truckload of lobsters so we'll shuck them off and we're going to do uh, homemade lobster rolls for people as well there so your ticket price really gets you in and it's you know from about 4 30 till about you know 9 30 or 10 30 and it's on may 20th which is on a friday night so um <clears throat> again it's it's during the nantucket wine festival so there's a lot going on around the island um certainly not something that i say to people jump in your car and drive down like you're going to be going to your next town uh, but i will say that it's right before the season starts in nantucket so um it's really a great opportunity for people if you go on uh, airbnb and um, some of the other vacation rentals by owner things like that you'll find that there's a whole trove of, of beautiful houses that people offer for discounts because it's not in season yet yeah so we found Sounds a lot of awesome. people go and it's a great opportunity to see nantucket uh to be around some other great chefs all the chefs usually come by um, after they'll do dinners on Fridays during the day and at night 
So throughout the night, we sort of trickle in all the major chefs from the uh, festival that come by to hang out. And uh, we have two boats parked on either end. We'll be shucking oysters to order. We'll be doing lobster rolls. I'm sure there'll be plenty of uh, beers and <laughs> cocktails and things like that for people. Sounds uh, good. It's a great time. So you're a busy guy. You've got three restaurants you're running very well. You've got Fish Pig. But you managed to find some time to load up an RV and, and uh, travel across country. So I look forward to hearing about this road trip. I have... Visions of Blutarski and the boys from Animal House, you know, uh, throwing the beers in the car, which hopefully, you know, isn't happening anymore. But um, tell me about the, the inspiration for the road trip, and uh, I'm going to let you have at it. Kind of give, sure. give me a lowdown on, on the, the intent, the route, uh, all of that. Absolutely. Um, I think that the intent of it was sort of, a, again, a bit of a joke. It was, you know, starting as I have a gentleman who's worked with me since I was a teenager. Um, I park cars with him in Boston for a job, and um, he's actually our operations manager now. He's, he's really an incredible, sort of our uh, company mascot, if you will. He's an unbelievable personality and hilarious, and he spends a lot of time around me, and our whole restaurant group would always say, how funny would it be to throw Chris and Carl in an RV and send them across country with a camera or something and you know, be able to, to follow the dialogue that would take place there. Um, you know, that's how the whole idea of going cross-country started. Uh, but once we started to really think about it, we thought about the fact that, again, it's with all the work we do locally with the farms and uh, producers, fishermen, people like that around New England, um, we also know that we have an incredible amount of people that we, we, we want to meet, we want to learn about, we want to travel out to, but no one ever has the time to try to do that. And, and very infrequently do you have an opportunity to, to connect with your sources to this level. Uh, we knew that that's, that was the intent, to be able to connect with our sources, but along the way we knew to make it happen, uh, there had to be another catch to it. So um, I have, you know, some fa- some fantastic chefs. We have three chefs at the three restaurants that um, are just take real pleasure and passion in getting out there and, and cooking with other chefs, experiencing different cities, things like that. Uh, so I put it on them to say, let's let's go do this cross-country trip. Let's put our list together of all the vendors that we want to stop at along the way. Um, and on the way, let's go to some of these major cities. Let's reach out to some of the chefs from those cities and try to line up pop-ups and things like that so that we can share what we do as a restaurant company, uh, but also engage with them and see not only what they do, but get a feel for the city. Um, I think this was really about trying to get our chefs passionate and to really sort of jumpstart and light that fire under them to bring back some of these ideas, bring back some of these experiences, um, and share them with our guests. Um, If nothing else, it's you know, as a chef, you can be very insular, so you can find yourself in four walls, and it can be a long period of time before you can break out um, and see things, you know, in your own city, let alone um, in other parts of the country. So um, it was an opportunity for us to hit the road, um, to hit some people that we've always looked up to, places like Benton's uh, Smoky Mountain Hams yep. from Madisonville, Tennessee, who I've always thought was, you know, one of my heroes in a sense because he's been operating that smoke shack for, I think, between him and uh, the previous owner over 100 years. Um, you know, uh, these fishermen down in South Carolina outside Charleston, uh, that un- abundant seafood, who are the ones who sell most of their seafood to Sean, to Sean Brock from Husk and places like that. Yep. Um, so that's how it started to put that laundry list and that wish list together. Um, easier said than done. Uh, you lay out a map of America and you sort of say, okay, the first question is, how, where am I going to go? Am I going to go south or am I going to go north? Um, that was an easy answer for me because it was it was you know February and March so yep. it was cold so I really wasn't very eager to drive and drive yeah we're going south so um, then it became okay what are the major cities that I'd like to see 
Um, we have an incredible beverage program at our restaurant. So uh, we actually have uh, Brom Callahan, who's our beverage director from uh, for Hemel Hospitality, was recently uh, designated as a master sommelier. So um, for him, I wanted to be able to pull the beverage side of things in as well. So um, the intent of the trip, um, and I can just take it through sort of place by place, really, in, in a quick variety. But, sure. How, how um, long was the trip? It was 25 days. So okay. 25 days on the road. And uh, you were on the trip the whole time? I was on for the whole time. Carl, who I mentioned, was the uh, gentleman who was our driver. Uh, he's, he drove 5,800 of the 6,000 miles. Wow. Um, so he didn't give up the wheel very easily. So, uh, But it was all very strategically calculated because... In a perfect world, I'd love to just sort of get in a car and an RV and just drive. Um, and wherever the wind takes you, that's where you go. Uh, but we had commitments to fill. So we had to make sure that when we said we were going to be somewhere, that we were there for the chefs, that a lot of these people were marketing or selling tickets for the events. Sure. Um, you know, you don't want to, you know, be, uh, you know, sort of put out, put out somebody who's accepting you, one of these vendors. You don't want to not show up or show up late. You want to accommodate their schedule. So, so you had a tight um, schedule. Very tight. I mean, every day it was down to the, to the hour, essentially. I mean, we mapped out uh, how long the distances were. Um, you know, it was very much getting used to the RV and the fact that you know, you're not going 85 miles an hour in an RV. Right. Although I think we pushed it a little bit a few times. But, um, you know, weather was a huge factor. I know when we went through one part in specific, going through Florida, was we, were, we had a hurricane at our tail end. Not a hurricane, but tornadoes and things like that. So it was, uh, it was a challenge in certain regards, but it was one of the more rewarding experiences from a culinary travel uh, standpoint that I've had because of the people that we got to spend the time with. I think that was the other part of it um, was that for the first time when you put in a confined space all your chefs and everyone collectively in a room together and you make them spend 14 hours in, a, you know, in an RV or even just doing these events, um, everyone gets to know each other. Um, everyone gets to get a newfound respect for one another and see uh, from a chef's perspective uh, you know, they learn different things about from each other. So, yeah. um, and there's a lot of great things that I can take you through that are there along the way. Um, the first stop that we made from a, from a culinary standpoint was really special to me because it was in Washington, D.C., um, and it was with an organization in Jose Andres' group at Think Food Group that I really respect a lot. Um, sure, he's, he's one of our deans here. Yeah, he's... So we're very familiar with his group and have, a, obviously, a ton of respect for him. He's an incredible person, and his organization, I will say, is as incredible as he is. Um, we were so blown away by the reception that we got from them. We, we arrived in Washington, D.C., and we had our pastry chef from Grill 23 and Post 390 um, who was going to be doing a, a pop-up with their group. Um, so we actually did it at Zetinia, which is his uh, Mediterranean-inspired restaurant, yep. which is fantastic. Um, and we actually worked with the whole team there. Uh, I think we did about a, you know, I think it was about a 12-course tasting menu uh, that was all dessert-driven. Uh, but cool. <clears throat> what I found to be the most rewarding part, again, was, you know, certainly the dinner and, and executing it, but working with them and coming in early and having our pastry chef see how to make, you know, homemade pita bread and things like that from the people that are there. Or um, we had Andy Myers, who was their beverage director, um, and Brom Callahan, who's our beverage director. Brom came down as well. So to see them working together and have two master sommeliers working a room is not something that you see every day. But following the dinner, 
it was, you know, the welcome that we got in terms of they made this incredible feast for all of us. They actually had one dish which really blew me away, which was they have their uh, spit roasters and they have the lamb that they're roasting on it. And they constantly have to be shaving the outside of the lamb off uh, because they need to get to the more moist part of it. So all those shavings collect at the bottom of this tray. It's not something that you necessarily want to sell. But one of the dishes that we had was just a giant pile of these lamb shavings that was I mean, seasoned wow. and spice like you wouldn't believe. And, that sounds amazing. Um, it was fantastic. It was and that's great, something the regular customer probably just can't. No, yeah, and it was twelve thirty, one in the morning, and you know, again, most restaurants when you're leaving and you do an event like that would say, you know, hey, there's a great restaurant down the street, or, uh, but that's not how they pulled it. They really, they they were insistent. Sit down. We we want you guys to eat, and we all ate together, um, sort of a late night family meal, if you will. Uh, but it was really one of the more special parts of the trip from a restaurant perspective because how can you not have just incredible respect for, for uh, Think Food Group and for Chef Jose Andres and his team? Um, but to be treated like that and be welcomed so uh, so graciously was was special for our whole team. And I know our, our pastry chef came home uh, with just you know incredible inspiration for uh, the different breads that we do to uh, really some of the desserts i've even seen some of the desserts i believe our banana cream pie had some cardamom in it for a little while okay. or something like that yeah. so um you little things like that that you see that add little touches that and it's great for me to see that they that it that it strikes a chord with them that they they walk away with something to hold on to um so sounds that was pretty special it sounds like a great way to kick it off and it was i, I imagined you would have eaten well on this trip <laughs> so we're going to take another quick break uh, and when we get back we'll talk about the rest of the sure. the journey sure. uh, i look forward to that sure. open table is a proud sponsor of heritage radio network open table is home to the world's largest dining network seating over 17 million diners every month their technology solutions help restaurants run and grow their businesses That means providing memorable hospitality to every guest, streamlining front-of-house operations, and optimizing seating to seat more diners and drive more business. Chefs, restaurateurs, and other industry professionals can find more tips and best practices for running a successful restaurant on their blog, Open for Business, at openforbusiness.opentable.com. The one and only Dave Arnold brings the noise to Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday on Cooking Issues. Coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick and Brooklyn. If the bomb was going to drop and you only had 15 minutes, which is like, I can, I can make a sandwich in 15 minutes. You'd be eating a sandwich. I'd kiss my wife, make a sandwich. If you believe that it's all about to be over, why eat healthy? Not a freaking Neanderthal. I like a tempered ice cream sandwich. But it's the only way to get around it if you're a party master because you, you're going to wind up, like, your kitchen's going to fill with dishes. And is Some there... people have commercial dishwashers in their house. Who? I've seen them. Who? I've seen them. Who? <laughs> really rich people. <laughs> For more mile-a-minute knowledge from Dave and the crew, listen to Cooking Issues, available on Heritage Radio Network, iTunes, and Stitcher. All right, we're back with Chris Himmel, and we're talking about road trip. You know, I actually think about... So many chefs, um, especially if they have a particular uh, cuisine at their restaurant, take Italian, for example, feel that they need to go to Italy and travel around to different regions and really absorb and learn. Um, And you hear about that a lot. You may have even done that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I hadn't heard of of people 
doing what you did and really uh, going to uh, suppliers and, and traveling the United States and really absorbing. So I think it's a really cool concept. Thank you. And in the form of, you know, the, quote, road trip that we all kind of uh, can connect to and think is a, a good time and, and a lot of fun, uh, I, I want to hear more. Before you get back into the, the journey, sure. do you still have the RV? No, we actually did a Cruise America RV, so, uh, which, you know, I think uh, our sh- one of our corporate chef referred to it as the, as the uh, rolling turd. So <laughs> right, was, I was uh, going to say you could turn yeah. it into a food truck, right? Yeah, we could have. I think they wanted it back. We, they didn't, probably didn't want We worked hard to get it back in decent condition, but, I mean, you know, th- you know four sh- up to four chefs and wine people and everyone on board there it takes a toll. Yeah. So. Okay, so from D.C., where'd from you DC, go next? We actually headed out to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we wanted to go and explore the uh, Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Okay. So we were able to go over to uh, Buffalo Trace with our uh, beverage team. Uh, go they're the makers of uh, you know uh, bourbons like Pappy Van Winkle yep. and uh, some of the better ones around. So we, we had a great time there, from what I remember. So we <laughs> certainly went uh, against the Grain Brewery, which is also in Louisville, which That's is a great fantastic. Brewery. The Rico uh, Suaven is one of my favorite beers. I think that their designs on their cans might be as good as their beer, and that's yeah. saying a lot. So yeah. they are just in a really cool group of people. We had a blast with them. Um, they took us to their warehouse. That's cool. uh, we got to do some tastings of their special beer. My, uh, my wife. Uh, uh, my beard is fairly new, and my wife uh, likens me to the guy on the Rico Suave. Okay. Can. I'll take it as a compliment, but I'm not sure. I think that might be actually their brewmaster, if okay. I remember correctly, because he, uh, he was a character. We had a blast with them. They, uh, they really showed us a, a side of beer that I was uh, – and from a marketing perspective, too, again, it's like their whole catch of what they do with their, their cans and their designs. Yep. And, uh, we're looking forward to – actually, I think we're going to be bringing them up to Boston soon. Great. So we're excited about that. Um, after that, we really wanted to hit the road. We were really, again, on a kind of a race, race against time, if you will. And um, we had to head down to Charleston, South Carolina. We were going to go meet with uh, Carrie and Mark Marhefka from Abundant Seafood. Uh, so along that way, we stopped at Madisonville, Tennessee, which was uh, my dream stop. And certainly my chef, Eric Brennan, who's our corporate chef for our group, um, were just you know, blown away by getting to meet um, you know, the, Bens- the Bensons and uh, getting in there. And Alan Benton, who is, to me, uh, a god when it comes to pork in the sense of what he's doing with his yep. with his ham so uh we really uh just went through his whole operation he was so blown away by us making taking the time to come there he kept trying to give us um you know product and that's when the light went off in eric in my head that wouldn't it be cool to be able to compile all these ingredients along the way and bring them in the rv or arrange to have them sent out and the goal was to be able to do that and then get to las vegas where we were going to be doing a dinner on top of the palms at a restaurant called alize which is a michelin restaurant it was got a great team there um but we set that as a goal and this was our first stop and we walked away from benton's with an entire 27 month aged berkshire ham leg with the hoof still on in the back of the rv he gave us guanciales that we had to age for two more weeks so his recommendation to us was to put them in netting and we hung them from the inside of the rv so we're actually aging hams and guanciale and things like that within the rv so um, again the goal on this rv wasn't just to be uh, sitting there and using it as a transportation vehicle but when we went to these places we had tight enough time frames that we had to be cooking in the rv we had to be prepping and preparing so we're driving on the highway at 70 miles an hour with boiling pots of water going and things that you know probably a hazard in a sense but we had to do what we had to do to get it done chefs get um, it done chefs exactly. make it work right Right, exactly so um we from from heading down from tennessee when we got down to charleston south carolina really hitting up restaurants also going to meet through uh, the people from anson mills who were incredible 
incredible and set us up with uh, people from Clemson University to learn about uh, just you know bringing back some of the um, the older strains of product like uh, wheat and things like that. And to be honest, it was very technical and uh, very educational. I think all of our chefs and I came out with sort of just blown away that people will go to that level and that what goes on scientifically to make some of these ingredients that we use happen is really mind blowing. And I think that's what they wanted us to get at Anson Mills was a, a new appreciation for. Um, the, the the things that go on leading up to the point that it's even planted in the ground, you know. So um, from there, uh, really give, give me an example of that. Um, I'd say probably like with some of the things that they do, like cornmeal and things like that. They're actually able to go back in and find strains of uh, different things like corn. Where they they brought us into a room. It was like a library catalog room. You open up drawers, and instead of there being little library cards, there's little packets of seeds. Hmm. So they'd have seeds from back in, like, colonial days and things like that. They're, tra- they're making sure that strains of certain types of product don't ever go out of existence. Truly so, heirloom seeds, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're really the forefront of that. They sort of, they're the ones that push that and or sort of created an heirloom market, if you will. Um, but in order to do that, you have to be able to preserve these history because everyone wants to crossbreed things and things right. like that. So it loses some of its integrity from the get-go. So um, just really, really educational and very impactful for all of us. Um, from there, and really getting a feel for the Charleston scene uh, through the people at Abundant Seafood, uh, we actually un- we unpacked an entire boat with them that they had just brought in. So we had uh, golden tile fish to trigger fish to things like that. Uh, red snapper that we got. We were able to do a banded rudder fish that we cut right on the dock and did a crudo uh, with right there, so wow. which was pretty special. Um, when we wanted to head out of there, we had to get going with the weather, so we really had to hightail it out of Charleston, head through uh, Emerald Coast, which if anybody's never been there, I think that might have been the highlight of my trip, just the beaches there, um, the, the access to seafood. We actually met with Greg Abrams, who's one of the uh, commercial fishermen, who probably sells, I'd say, more than 60% of the red snapper that comes out of the Gulf is, uh, is you know, brokered by Greg. So we were able to go to his shop, um, bring in an entire load of seafood, uh, go out onto a beach in Destin, Florida, and all of our chefs and I sitting on an RV. Um, everybody came up with different dishes, so we did rock uh, lionfish crudo, uh, to different uh, variations of conch, to uh, a whole 20-pound red snapper that we roasted and put chimichurri over, mm. um, things like that to really give everybody a sense for uh, local product, but also give everyone a chance to cook and you know get behind the stove in a beautiful setting. Um, from there, it was really, I mean, it was one after another, and we hit up you know New Orleans, where we did a pop-up at a restaurant called Perlou, uh, and hit up Urban Street, certainly at the end of the night. Uh, we ended up tie-tailing it off to uh, to Austin, Texas, where our pastry chef from Harvest Restaurant, uh, Brian Mercury, uh, actually did a pop-up at Juniper. So we were really excited about that. I have to say Austin, to me, was one of the highlights from a restaurant perspective of the number of fantastic restaurants they have. Okay, um, We were able to connect with the group um, from both Juniper Restaurant but also through a mutual uh, connection that I had, um, the, the crew from Emmer and Rye. Um, and uh, their chef actually just got, I think Kevin just got the food and wine top new chef in America. And um, Tavel, who's their pastry chef, they were absolutely incredible. So gracious, had us in for a great dinner, but we were also able to cook with them at a pop-up at Juniper where we did. It was sort of a pastry throwdown uh, dinner. So that was really Did you find really some special. time for live music as well? We did. We actually got brought down one night, though, to somebody 
told me the wrong piece of advice and sent me down to 6th Street. And I, it was more of like Bourbon Street than actual music. Okay. So I missed one night. But we were able to get over to a couple of places the last night. And uh, after the event, certainly the whole crew. I mean, we had, I think there were seven or eight different local pastry chefs. So we really uh, hit it up and had a good time there that night and experienced all that Austin has. So um, on our way out of Austin, we actually were able to stop at Broken Arrow Ranch, which is that uh, facility, that operation that I had mentioned is uh, – the only people in the country that are one of the only that are licensed to sell wild games so antelope and um, axis deer and wild boar and things like that and um, along the way again we picked up product at all at different stops with our vendors um, and everything was aimed at getting to las vegas for this dinner uh, when we got out there it was uh we did about a 19 hour drive to get straight out there to make the time uh got there and started prepping for two straight days i uh, did a dinner for 120 guests everything again that we utilized from uh the um red snapper to the benton's hams to some of the different seafood that we were able to get in south carolina the shrimp from the gulf um everything originated from that trip so i think the guests got a really special night of of really getting a taste for what we had done throughout this whole trip that um, it wasn't just sitting around that we really were working hard to procure product that we could not only feature in this dinner but that hopefully which what we've done is carry it back to the restaurants um that must have been a lot of fun developing the the menus as you drove it was an yeah. evolving menu based on your stops right yes it was and there was we tended to let everybody come up with their own courses but there were definitely times where once everybody got comfortable with each other there's there was no holds barred so if somebody thought that something was missing or that dish was you know wasn't right we didn't hold back so it was very creative and uh learning experience for everybody you don't usually get to come up with that stuff on an rv on the highway so yeah. um it was cool so we had a. Uh, by the time we finished Vegas, I think I had almost hit the wall. So uh, we had to head to Los Angeles. So at, at that point, when we got out there, we actually were able to do a pop-up um, at a restaurant called Hinoki and the Bird, which is our, a fantastic restaurant uh, in Los Angeles and Century City. So we had our Harvest executive chef, Tyler Kinnett, uh actually flew out. Tyler is 27 years old, uh, has never... Uh, grew up in, in Ohio, but really hasn't done that much traveling. So that was pretty special to see a young, up-and-coming, great chef get on a plane, land in Los Angeles, and be sort of fending for himself for you know the first day and having to put on a dinner for it. It ended up being, we thought we would do about 40 or 50 people. It was about 100 and 110 people that we did. Um, to make matters more complicated, we actually had his UPS box never arrived. So this is just a day in the life of a road trip when you're yep. doing this. Yep. Uh, our, we never received our lamb. Our boxes got crushed. All the mise en place was done. So when you have someone like that, I actually thought it was fantastic personally. I mean, I'm sure Tyler would kill me for saying that because it showed me what he's got. You know, it showed right. me what do you do when you're in that position and, you know, not everything goes perfectly. And, and like I knew he would, Tyler put his head down and, uh, made a flawless evening for everybody. It was it was one of the better culinary experiences that we had along the trip. Once again, um, chefs get it done right. Yeah. They make it work. Oh yeah, and, and he and had it, a smile on his face doing it. So. It's funny how sometimes it works out to be even better when that happens. Yeah, um, yeah, it does. You know, I think there's something to be said for that. I think there were some decisions he made that were on the fly that were uh, that really paid off. I thought it was a fantastic dinner and everyone that we had um, couldn't say enough about the collaboration between uh, Brandon Kidda, uh, who's a, a chef over at Hinoki and the Bird and Tyler um, it was great to see really made me feel confident coming back and watching Tyler what he does at the harvest today 
um, you know, really sort of showed me something, which is what, what you want. So that's great. Um, so yeah, so I mean, the that end of the trip when we finished that, it was sort of uh, you know heading straight down for the uh, the end result of the trip, which was really everything was geared. We called it Boston to Browley. So uh, Browley is a town in uh, Southern California that's about two hours south of San Diego. So um, it's right next to Mexicali. Um, you can throw a stone and hit the Mexican border from where it is. Um, it's in an area called Imperial Valley. So we decided to do a collaboration with the with the Brant family, uh, Brant Natural Beef. For anybody who's ever heard of it, but they're uh, at the forefront of beef in the United States. Uh, their family is one of the founders of the prime beef movement. So uh, we at Grill 23 made the commitment in 2001 to use exclusively Brant beef. Uh, we partnered with the Brants and uh, we're really one of the first restaurants in the country to decide to make that commitment to raise our beef without the use of hormones or antibiotics or any of that. Um, it was really was a partnership and it's something that Eric is Eric Brant, who's uh, really the head of their uh, family's operation, um, has become one of my best friends. So uh, we've also done things like stepping out of our comfort zone so once a year he'll come out and i'll bring him out 180 miles out fishing um he brings me to idaho to go elk hunting which if anybody's seen me they know that's a feat in itself so uh climbing a mountain is not my forte so um but we've just grown a great appreciation for what each other do and our families have become very close um eric's got brothers and sisters and his father and mother are just two of the most fantastic people i know and i wanted my team to really to see firsthand where our beef comes from for 15 years everyone's been talking about this beef it was important to me to put a face to the name for everybody so absolutely they took us through their operation uh from beginning to end to the cattle lot and the feed lot where um we were able to see i had actually been there a few times before so for me every time i go i learn something new but uh what i didn't have meant to to uh to welcome us and, and show us not only the the operation uh, but also to show us what makes their family great they hosted uh the first night we were there um we went to the cattlemen's club which is as members only you have to be a rancher to be there and threw a giant uh, barbecue with a sliced tri-tip and things and introduced us to the whole town if you will which is felt like you were at a, in a parade so to speak you yeah. walked in and it's a small town so everyone it was big news that we were coming in there and um we did that the next day. They actually had uh, three or four Duroc pigs that they had on the on the property. One of them was actually bullying the others. He was a little bit older, so they made the decision while we were there that they were going to put that pig down. So the next morning, we came into the uh, to the to the uh, feedlot, and they had homemade carnitas for us that the ranch hands had made. Wow! So I mean, that's wow. you know, great welcome. I don't know what it is. So um, you're we, making me hungry. It's not right? lunchtime yet. Honestly, so. It, uh, it was fantastic from that perspective. It only got better with what we saw and what we were able to see, um, just how you know, meticulously they go, what goes into raising these cattle. Um, the fact that they make a commitment to grow them you know, about 20% larger to be able to marble them to get what we need. Our relationship with them, the, I think our, our team saw just how valued we are in terms of working with them, that they had never forgot the fact that we were one of the first people to believe in them and to partner with them. So we actually have on the line in the processing facility, they actually have a Grill 23 stamp where Eric Brandt will go every Monday and handpick the top 1% of the 1% of beef uh, for us. And wow. why that's important is... <clears throat> And you know, hey, I'm, I go. I love steakhouses. Obviously, um, I, New York's one of my favorite places. But you, there's really nowhere that you'll even find in New York that people are very apprehensive to make that commitment to get beef from one source. 
Um, it's just not the way business is done. Everything's done in auction markets and purchase. So if you are selling great beef from Allen Brothers, but then Pat Lafrida has something that you like and is cheaper next week, then that's what you're going to use. So you can't tell whether that piece of beef you're serving came from the Midwest or the West Coast or anywhere. You certainly can't level it down to what specific farm it came from and then having tags on it to know what part of the farm it came from and what lots and what its life was like and things like that. Um, And it seems a little bit overdone, to be honest, but when you're talking about beef, it's one of the industries, the last remaining industries. I mean, people want to know where their tomatoes came from, right? Beef has a much more propensity to cause you issues if you don't source it correctly. But yet, because of the way that the industry and the system's set up, um, it's not set up to give you source verification. They really shy away from that. They don't want you to be able to source verify it. So um, for us, we've bucked that trend. I mean, we're not really driven by the commodities market as a result. So there's certain times during the life of our relationship where we were paying much more than what the market was bearing. Uh, but there are other times where we're reaping the benefits of that. But it's really about a, a relationship and really about believing in each other, sticking with each other, which is what we did. Um, and, you know, really the culmination of that was to be able to bring our team in and let them see the family and the fact that it's not just the cattle operation that Eric's brother Mark uh, has about, I think it's about 70,000 acres of farmland that they grow all their own alfalfa and hay and things like that. Um, and they're doing about 400,000 uh, pounds of feed every day to feed their cattle. Most of it's coming from there. The fact that they had to be able to truck in corn from the Midwest, so their family actually built an extension of the Union Pacific Railway to be able to truck corn into Imperial Valley. And that doesn't just benefit them, that actually benefits all the other farmers in the area. So um, they're one of the people and one of the families that I respect the most of, of anything that I do, irregardless of the restaurant business or the food industry or anything. It's They're they're good people. Um, they do great things for their, for their community and... Uh, their inspiration to me so it was really really uh, meaningful to get a chance to uh, do a dinner we actually the bill and sue their their parents actually hosted us at their home uh they had incredible spread um i think they have like 10 or 12 grandkids running around it felt like i was home you know it really yeah. did and i think that's the comment i got from all of our team was um it really gives you a sense for and, and also an appreciation for the fact that they yes they put out some of the best beef i think in the world but makes you feel good knowing that you're getting it from people that have the same values that you do um, and that really appreciate it and that they're not going to compromise on those values so that our relationship as we grow, um, because that's something as our business, so certainly we would like to grow over the next you know, five, ten years. I need to know that I can have that commitment to them. And so we've really been able to grow um, you know, side by side which has been really an incredible experience. So it seems like your trip really solidified some longstanding relationships and, and took them to another level. But, but I think also it solidified the principles that you operate by for your team, for your chefs, for even the, the front of house that didn't go on the trip. They knew what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that probably really helped solidify that principle throughout and all the way down to your customers. I think it's a, a great idea. It also Thank sounds you. like you, you managed to have a lot of fun while you were doing it. We did. I give you the PG version, too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we broke a couple laws on this uh, yeah, interview, exactly. so we don't want to break on. too many. Yeah, yeah. I had to be uh, careful. For me, uh, education has to be fun. Uh, you have to really enjoy what you're learning, and this sounds like a, a tremendously educational trip, but that you also had a lot of fun, and I think it was a, a great idea and one that I think chefs might want to uh, consider. 
Thank you. I have a couple more questions for you. Of course, of course. Did you drive back? No, we actually flew back. That's what, one of the complicated parts was finding a one-way RV rental, which is, I yeah. believe, that Cruise America might be one of the only in the country that will do it. Um, and I had to sort of apply for it, which surprised me. So I got rejected by two people before they actually accepted our bringing the RV back to okay. Los Angeles. Okay. So I, I don't know why I got rejected, but I think it has to do with where they're going to be dropping the cars and when, and it's just a whole complicated process. But, um, yeah, it was important to us to not have to drive all the way back. I'm not going to lie and say I would have. Poor Carl, who works with us, he probably would have been taking the brunt of that. But um, we did 6,000 miles, so we didn't just go cross-country. I mean, we really, when we went to places, this RV was our mode of transportation. So, I mean, if you can imagine, we looked like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, sort of pulling up to hotels and restaurants and anywhere in town, and eight people are hopping out of an RV and bringing ham legs out and things like that. It's just not your everyday occurrence. So... Um, by the time we got over to San Diego and Carl and I had to drive it back to L.A., uh, we were ready to drop it off, and, and we flew back. So you're going to do it again? I think we, we're, we're very seriously considering it. I, I, I don't want to say 100% because I think that it has to line up schedule-wise with everybody, uh, but I would say there's a better-than-not chance that we will. I think that um, the route that we would elect to take this time is to do the northern route because I think that there's, you know, as great as the southern route was and, I saw parts of the country that I actually had never been to. I think that from a culinary standpoint, it's just too good to pass up to take that northern route to go through places like Chicago uh, to be able to hit up uh, our actual general manager from Post 390 is going to be moving back to uh, Seattle, his hometown, in, uh, in this uh, this June. So things like that, all of our people that are around different points of the country, my best friend Andy, uh, who is at Le Pigeon in Portland, we wanted to do a pop-up restaurant uh, night with us over there at Le Pigeon, which we'd love to do. So the hope is to kind of take that route, end up down, maybe down around San Francisco, um, and maybe even if I can you know, try to you know, bribe Chef Keller enough, maybe he'll let me come into his restaurant and let us uh, do something over there in Napa. Uh, that'd be a dream. But um, I think there's just so many great things to see. Uh, and again, I think you made a great point. I mean, I, you know, most of the chefs that I grew up around, they would go and it's all about trying to get people to Europe and trying to get them to Spain and to Italy and places like that. And I certainly have been lucky enough to go do that. Uh, but what this trip was really about and what really drove it was, was what you said, which is that you really don't, no one thinks to really open your eyes and look at the great things that we have in this country and the fact of the breadth of things that we have. I mean, this is such a unique place because there's so many different areas of the country that have so many different offerings and different ecosystems and different parts, even from seafood alone. I mean, you, you can travel 1,200 miles south off to South Carolina and the seafood you wouldn't recognize it compared to the things that you're catching off New England. So uh, for us, it was that, that's what it was about. It was really about um, embracing and, and highlighting not just to the public but to ourselves, like everything that makes this country great and everything that, uh, that you know, makes America such a special place. And I think in today's day and age with everything going on with, you know, the elections and everyone being uncertain and things like that, I think it's certainly something that for us we look back, back at now and makes us feel good. And all the uncertainty and everything going on and no one knowing which way our country is going to go, uh, it's nice to know at the end of the day that this still is a pretty damn impressive country and that there's things like what we saw with some of these vendors and and people that really want to do things the very best i mean ham alone i mean everyone used to only say italy and spain and places 
you know, I've gone out to meet with the Eck houses from uh, La Quercia and Iowa to go in with Alan Benton and show me anybody that's putting out product that is head and shoulders above what they're doing. I don't think you can. And that's because these people are driven by not just putting out product. They're driven by putting out the best possible product. They take pride in what they do. And that's what we wanted to find. Those are the people we wanted to seek out. Um, and, and we were really lucky we did. I mean, there's, there's no one that we met with on the trip that uh, didn't share the same sense of enthusiasm for uh, producing the best of what they can. And that's, uh, that's what we're driven by. So It's really an amazing uh, story, and uh, I want to do it myself. So I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> you can come soon, with us next year. Yeah, yeah. Please send me an invitation. <laughs> I'll, we'll talk about it at Fish Pig. Maybe. Exactly. Uh, so, Chris, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for uh, having it's me. It's been really great to get to know you a little bit, and uh, I think the, the road trip concept is just brilliant and sounds like you you really nailed it um i also want to thank the chef story team uh dorothy will be back next week with another episode um until then uh signing out thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.